Broadcasting from the 10 Hudson Square building, home of WNYC Radio in Soho, New York, welcome to Brand on Purpose, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful, purpose-driven companies. Really excited for my guest today, who's Dave Powers. He's president and CEO of Decker's Brands. Multi-billion dollar global footwear and lifestyle company gives back to the community, the environment, and its employees. Dave spent most of his career in the clothing industry, working for Gap, Timberland, and Converse before joining Decker's as president of the directing a tumor business in 2012. Four years later, he was named CEO, and now he's responsible for the growth of the Decker's portfolio of brands, which include UGG, Kulabura by UGG, Hoka One One, one of my favorites, and we'll talk about that, Tibas and Sanuk. Whether Decker's is providing a stylish look for functional athletic wear, it has also proven to be a reliable brand portfolio for more than 45 years. Dave also oversees the company's corporate responsibility program, which launched in 2010 to give back through better business practices. So some of the initiatives under this program are focused on human rights, gender equality, quality education, supply chain, wastewater, chemicals, climate, and clean energy. I think personally, Deckers is becoming shining, but also understated and almost unknown example of how a major corporation can balance purpose and profit. Dave Powers, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Thanks, Aaron. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. I had a little bit of a shout out to the Hoka One One brand that I've been wearing for the last two, three years or longer, ever since I broke my foot or my third metatarsal on my left foot training for an Ironman. And ever since I've been in Hoka One One's and I love that brand. We'll talk about that some more. Big shout out to the Clifton in particular. It's a fan favorite for sure. Well, in doing some research on Decker's, I didn't realize, I mean, I went pretty deep in your website and you guys are incredibly transparent, especially for a publicly traded company. But to me, it feels a lot like Patagonia in a good way as it relates to social purpose and giving back and really living your values. In fact, I was looking through your code of ethics. I mean, it gets so granular and so internal that you're even talking about what's the right amount of expense an employee could have around a meal or transportation. And usually those things are very internal, they're employee handbooks, but you guys are incredibly transparent, very passionate, very forthright, very purposeful, no pun intended, with all of your initiatives. Talk just a little bit about, I guess it's more authentic because it's in the background, but part of my job is to put it into the foreground and inspire others to follow suit. Talk a little bit about why it's been kind of so quiet just from a marketing standpoint. I know it's not a marketing program. Yeah, it's certainly not a marketing program, although we are evolving our thinking to be a little bit more public and front facing. But at the end of the day, we're just a humble company. The values that we have at Deckers and our culture is really built around kind of integrity, transparency, honesty, humility. And those are the values that drive what we do every day. It drives a lot of our decisions and it drives practices and how we behave both internally with our employees, but externally with partners and our communities globally. One of the reasons I joined Deckers back in 2012 is because they are a company that cares and they care about their employees. They have always done things the right way, which always has been important for me. I've tried to make all my decisions over my career with a high level of integrity. And it's a great family environment here at Decker's. And we come to work because we love what we do. We love working with each other and we want to give back to the community. And so it's kind of always just been that way. And I think 
you and I were talking earlier about the fact that Patagonia, for me, has always been a bit of a, a real role model, both from a brand perspective and their products and how they market their brand, but also what they stand for and how they keep a high level of integrity, obviously driven by Yvonne, but in the fact that they're private, but they really have been a role model for me. And you know, what I have always tried to do, and I think we're making great progress now at Decker, is, is, is to model that as best we can while also being cognizant of our shareholders and our stakeholders in the business. That's that tension that is always there that keeps us honest and focused and making the right decisions. I really subscribe to the idea of you can do well and do good at the same time. So we've been a little quiet on that and doing it because it's just the right thing to do. But now I think that we have an opportunity, and I would say it's somewhat of an obligation to help set examples for other companies who want to do the same. And I think our employees are doing a lot of great work that I think they need to get some recognition and credit for. And we're finding more than ever that our customers really care about it. And I think that's just a fantastic opportunity for us to spread the love, so to speak, and bring our customers into the fold as well. It must help a bit in that those brands I mentioned before that really comprise your customers are those brands that are high loyalty. I mean, I mentioned Hoka, but same thing with UGG and Tevas for sure. So you have people who already are very passionate about these brands. And along with that probably comes a wanting for even more connectivity and understanding what's behind the brand. Yeah, we're fortunate that we have brands that are a little bit quirky when you first see them or you are first introduced to them, whether it's the UGG boot or the Teva sandal or the Hoka original shoes that we did early on, early days. But once you wear them and experience them, you fall in love with them. And so it really starts with that love for product and what that does for you, whether it's performance or just comfort or warmth and how it makes you feel, that emotional connection. We're brand builders and we really feel like having a strong emotional connection with our customers is paramount to a successful business. And it's not just about product, but it's also now more importantly, which is fantastic. It's about what we stand for and how we behave as a brand as well. And we're fortunate also, and I think we have an opportunity because of our portfolio business model to double dip, so to speak, on doing good. We can do a lot of work at a Decker's corporate level, but then each individual brand does their part that's right for their brand at the same time and their consumer. So it's a great opportunity to do more and have a greater impact. And before joining Decker's, you were at Converse. Correct. Yep. And that was... As you may or may not know, Converse is part of Nike. So I was also under the fold of the Nike executive team as well, which was a great opportunity to to work both at Converse, which is a super exciting brand and a really passionate consumer for different reasons, but also get a glimpse under the covers of Nike and understand how that machine works, which is pretty impressive, obviously. Well, yeah. And one of the reasons why I ask is because Converse is such a pop culture type brand. And not to say it's not performative in terms of the product itself, but there's a lot of pop culture associated with it and a lot of celebrity. And I'm sure you learned a lot there in terms of how to create resonance with a customer and a customer-centric brand. And you're able to relay that kind of pop culture essence into purpose. And now you're really overseeing a house of brands, which is a little bit different, but has its own challenges. But also there's a huge amount of upside. Yeah, like I said, it allows us to do more and reach more consumers in different ways. I learned a lot at Converse about how to connect with a consumer at an emotional level. For that brand, it was all about self-expression and creativity. We always said that the Chuck Taylor is the blank canvas of self-expression. That was our way to have an emotional connection with the brand. Prior to that, I spent five years at Timberland. And 
the time, Jeff Schwartz, the CEO, and I was there, was passionate about doing well and doing good. And he was really a, a leader in the industry at uh, that time and really set the tone for me in my career about the importance of an emotional connection with the customer, storytelling, and really putting all your decision-making through the lens of what's best for the consumer and the product, but also the planet. But it's all about creating those emotional connections. And I think our brand teams here at Deckers, I think, do a tremendous job. If you look at what we're doing with Hoka and the humans of Hoka storytelling, you know, those are real authentic experiences that our consumers are talking about, why they love the brand, why it's changed their lives, you know, what's so great about it. You can't make that up. It's invaluable kind of advocates for a brand that we're fortunate to have. And so those issues where you're creating those connections and that resonance, it sounds like it's from the bottom up. So you're not saying to your customer, these are the issues you need to care about. You're listening to your customer and you're saying, okay, we're going to lean into this. We hear you and we're going to put more effort behind it, whether it's dollars or time or in-kind donations. Yeah, I think it's a little of both. What we're learning now through our brands as we're getting deeper into defining their purpose and beyond just the product and what they stand for, what they can do from a social impact perspective is that there's things that the brands are close to, whether it's materials or waste water management. And then there's things that are also important to the consumer, for example, preserving the outdoor spaces or equality or diversity. And so it's a great opportunity to say, here's what the brand is all about at its core. Here's where it came from. Here's what it stands for. What we can have the most impact on and related to what we stand for at Deckers at a high level, but also what our consumers are telling us. So we take in both inputs. And I think that gives us the best filter to make decisions for the brand and connect with the consumer ultimately. Yeah. And we're clearly living kind of in this era of extreme transparency. If you just look at Recently, what happened with whether it's SoulCycle and Equinox and consumers now voting with their values, not just based on do they love that membership, but who's the investor behind something? Yeah, yep, exactly. And it's different. And look, some people actually don't care. They just care about the product. But I do think that, and I've mentioned this before, that consumers, especially the younger generations, want to buy from good companies, not just good products. But clearly, you're able to do both. You have to have a great, highly performative product. And then you need to put everything else at its core in terms of the purpose and the supply chain and and making sure that you're standing up for those values. Yeah, absolutely. There's no question that the millennial and Gen Z consumer is demanding more. But what I think they're demanding mostly is transparency and honesty. I think there was a recent situation, if you you read about H&M, when they went out and did this whole marketing campaign about what they're doing and the customers really challenged him on it and said, this is greenwashing. It's not authentic. It's not as true and powerful as you say it is. That's why I think transparency and honesty is so important in decision-making, but also how you communicate to your consumer. Because now more than ever, they can check and they will call you on it, which I think is fantastic. And I think it'll be helpful for businesses on many levels going forward. Do you have any plans on applying to become a B Corp? And how do you feel about that? It's interesting. We have looked into B Corp. And I asked our head of corporate responsibility and sustainability, Tom Garcia, recently to take a look at that and see what we could do, either for Deckers or one of our brands. And it's challenging as a public company to do that, and particularly to transfer from non-B Corp to B Corp. There's certain things that are difficult for different reasons. But what we said is like, well, let's be a B Corp without being a B Corp. And so we don't need the certification, so to speak, to just behave the right way. 
And so let's use that as kind of a filter along with our sustainable development goals that we've established to set the tone for the kind of company we want to be and how we operate. And so we pay attention to it. We utilize that as kind of a guidepost for us. But as a public company, we're doing as best we can without going for the full certification. I'm glad to hear you say that. I know it sounds odd for me to say I'm glad to hear you say that. But so my own agency, we're part of a publicly traded company and we've been looking into it. And I like the spirit of it. I like the direction of it. But the lift on the legal side, even though B Corp is not a legal designation, the lift on the legal side is so huge. It almost is a distraction and it's cost prohibitive and it takes us away from doing everything that we need to do to actually become a B Corp to begin with. So for us, we probably have to pass on it as well. And we landed where you are, which is we're just going to continue to live our values and be purpose-driven and have our own KPIs and hold ourselves accountable in the way that a B Corp would be. Exactly. Yeah. It also, you know, you don't have the full certification. You can't put that in your windows of your stores or on your website, but I don't know. I feel like it's almost more authentic this way, just to be doing the right thing, regardless of certification or not. And I think that's more long lasting. Yeah. And truthfully, I guess you've got the Deckers brands as the holding company and that's a publicly traded entity, but isn't the majority of our focus actually on the consumer facing brands that we talked about before at the end of the day? Yeah, exactly. And what each of those brands stands for on their own. As a holding company, a parent company, we kind of set the tone, but it really comes down to the brands. And that's that's the consumer facing part. And that's what we're here for is to serve the consumers. Do you get any pushback from investors or do you get any feedback at all as it relates to your purpose driven, your CSR programs? Yeah, it's interesting. And I've really paid attention to this over the last three years since I've become CEO of the company. We've done a lot of real heavy lifting on the business side of things, improving efficiencies, improving margins, profitability, resetting the brands. That's a lot of heavy lifting that the shareholders really pay attention to. And that is obviously what moves the needle from a value perspective, financial value. Through that journey, we've had very little, if any, conversations with shareholders around our corporate responsibility and targets that we've established, and which is part of the reason now, in our last earnings call, we started talking about our goals. And what I've said to my team and some of the shareholders we've talked to in the board is now that we have our house in order, so to speak, in business, and that side of the equation is taken care of. Now we can add to that and take the conversation to another level about, yes, we're performing very well in our business, but we always have been and will be continuing to perform in a high integrity way in the world and with our partners. And so I'm excited to have that dialogue now that we are ready to do that publicly. The interest level, unfortunately, isn't as deep or meaningful as I would like it to see, but that's our job to fix that. And that's our job to start the conversation. If people want to listen, great. If they want to be engaged, great. If they don't, we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. I do think it's helpful that, especially in the recent few months, as recently as just a week ago, you do have CEOs from major listed companies saying now that it's no longer just about shareholder value. Just as a backdrop, I do think that you're no longer that lone voice in the woods or the wilderness. Yeah, that's exciting. There's a long way to go there, but I'm excited to hear that that is starting to resonate with CEOs globally. And I think for so long, and this is always a debate, is what is the true role of the company and the CEO and the board and improving shareholder value? It has to be bigger than that. Because if you're not paying attention to your consumers and the planet and the environment having a positive impact on all of that, 
you're not going to be as successful as a company. That's just the way it goes, especially with the millennial and Gen Z consumer demanding that you are. And so I think it's important. I think there is obviously some challenges with corporations and the top 1% of the country making all the wealth and not spreading that throughout all levels of the population. I think there's a responsibility here that we have to start looking at and understand how we can make sure that everybody's getting their fair share. Are there certain issues that I wouldn't say they're taboo, but that you just won't touch that you think either because they're not relevant to the business, even though they might be part of the cultural zeitgeist that just don't make sense for you to kind of lean into? For me, I stay out of politics publicly. I have my own, obviously, personal views on things, and I do what I can to impact those. But I shy away from speaking in front of our organization or publicly about political views and how that impacts us. We certainly do our part with things like trying to influence decisions on tariffs and things of that sort that affect our business. But personal views on politics and getting into that debate with our employees and beyond, I definitely shy away from that. I think it's everybody's personal choice, and I don't want to be seen as trying to influence somebody, which is tricky in my position. So I just avoid it. And is there a program that it's like asking you to pick your favorite pet or you pick your favorite child, but is there a program that you're particularly proud of at the brand level or at the holding company level that you'd like to talk about? Well, I think it's not a specific one. We've done, I think the first one that comes to mind is the Her Project work that we've done with the UGG brand primarily, which is a great project that extends beyond our consumers and into our factories. And the Her Project is really focused on empowering women workers in the factories. The majority of women who are making our products overseas, the majority of the workers are women. And so the Her Project is a great way to, to make sure that we're helping them beyond just their wages. So educating them how to manage their finances, how to manage the work-life balance, how to improve their education so they can develop into new opportunities. So that's one program that I'm super proud of. But I think what I'm really proud of is the work that the team has done at a Decker's level recently. And if you go on our website, if you get a chance to look at some of the videos that we just posted this year, I think it really gives you a real flavor of what we really stand for, what things are important to us. And I think this is just a really a catalyst for our employees and our brands to really start taking this to the next level. We have some things in development for each of our brands, whether it's changing materials that are more environmentally friendly or volunteering or giving back to the community. Or in the case of UGG, we have a campaign that's coming up this fall, which is all around kindness and partnering with the Born This Way Foundation. It's kind of like everybody asks me once in a while, what's your favorite brand? And it's it's kind of like saying, which is your favorite kid? Because they're all unique and different and exciting and important. And I think the greater sum is what I'm really excited about and how we're now catalyzing that and sharing that with the public. And it sounds like you're also very good about figuring out, for lack of a better word, the permissioning. So a brand has to have some level of permission to be able to engage in a particular topic or issue. So it has to be relevant to what the brand is, whether it's at a factory level, a materials level, or a social component. How do you figure that out? I guess what I'm trying to get at is, you said it's a little bit of top down, a little bit of bottom up, but even that the project that you talked about with UGG, with empowering women in the factories, whether it's their health, their wellness, their education, understanding finances, How did you figure that out, that that's what you want to focus on or one of the things you want to focus on? You know, some of them are opportunistic. Our supply chain team kind of brought that opportunity to the brand. And we take diversity and gender equality and female empowerment seriously at Decker's and also within the UGG brand. 
and all of our brands. But this was an opportunity to say, how do we improve the people that are part of our family, extended part of our family? How do we improve their lives and make an impact on them? So it's something that came to us. And obviously, we get a lot of inbound opportunities. All the brands spend a lot of time really thinking through, discussing, understanding how it would fit in with the brand's purpose and goals. And that's really the filter for the decision. It comes down to what do we stand for and does this make sense? If you look at Teva as an example, they're supporting the Grand Canyon Conservancy. That's where the brand was born. That's where the Teva sandal was first designed. It's true to our core and it sends a message to our consumer that we care about the environment and the birthplace of Teva and we want to protect that. If you look at Sanuk, they're a surf culture brand and they support the Surfrider Foundation. So there's some obvious things that we stay connected to. But there's some not so obvious, like the Her Her Project, that when you first think about it, make a lot of sense. But when you actually think about the bigger picture and the impact that we can make, it's kind of a no-brainer for us. So there's a lot of permission that I certainly put in the hands of the brands and the leadership there. And then they huddle as a brand team and then make those calls on their own. And does your head of sustainability... I forget his name now. Tom Garcia. Tom Garcia. Does he report to you directly? He reports directly to me, yes. And we just officially gave him that responsibility and title. He has been the general counsel for the company in the last three years. But just recently, we expanded his role to make a statement to the company and our employees and also be able to start making more of a public statement that we've added corporate sustainability compliance to his title as well. And he's my partner, thought partner, but also helping execute against these goals and really establishing now a process and a conversation with all the brands and the rest of the company to support them in their objectives and also set some leadership as to how we want to behave and what we want to focus on as a corporation. Well, and I ask in part, it's a little bit of a trick question you passed though, because I've long felt and just in the interviews I've done so far that the best, most successful programs are ones that come directly from the office of the CEO. And there's a very close collaboration. There's investment, there's passion. There's a lot of narrative that's involved. And it's just funny because a couple of years ago, no one ever talked about ESG. That wasn't even a title in the same way that, I don't know, chief commercial officer is a new thing now too. It's a, that's more of a fancy way of saying head of sales or chief revenue officer. You know, the CMO role is now being kind of recast as well. But ESG is now part of the C-suite and I think an integral part of the vision for any company, be it publicly traded or private. Yeah, it's funny. It's a term that just kind of came out of nowhere. It's like omni-channel, just kind of established five or six years ago and everybody jumped on it. But what's great about it is it's now acronyms go a long way to catalyzing people. And I think a simple, easy thing like ESG, and once you understand what it stands for and look into it, it makes a hell of a lot of sense. And we actually... We came at it about six months ago, both from a management perspective. Tom and I started talking about it, and I actually have an article on my desk from PwC that's about six months old that one of our board members sent to us. And it's interesting that all of a sudden the term ESG started showing up and that we grabbed onto it, our board grabbed onto it, and we had a great discussion at one of our board meetings earlier this year around what does this mean for us? What does this mean in relation to Tom's new role? How do we utilize this as another catalyst for change and a way to have a conversation with our external stakeholders? And that's been great. And now we have uh, one of our board members who is working as kind of a mentor from a board perspective with Tom and I on how to move this agenda forward. So that's, that's pretty powerful as well. And I would say I absolutely believe that you have to lead from the front on these things and the CEO. But if you can get the board on board, no pun intended as well, it's just that much more powerful. 
And do you have a favorite Hoka? I mentioned to you earlier that the Clifton is one of my favorites. And then if I'm off-road, I'll, I like the Challenger ATR. My favorite Hoka is a Speedgoat. I am an occasional runner. I like to mix it up. I mountain bike, I surf, I ski, and I run. So I'm not a long distance anything. But when I do run, 90% of the time it's on a trail. And I just think the Speedgoat is the best trail running shoe I've ever worn. It's as soon as you put it on the first run, there's no blisters. It's super comfortable. The fit is fantastic. And it's got an aggressive stance and outsole so you can feel really confident on the trail. So that's my go-to shoe other than the Clifton and the new Rincon, which is also fantastic. That one I wear just kind of every day around town and kind of more casual athletic endeavors. I will say as a little guy myself, I do appreciate the couple inch lift on those shoes. (laughs) I don't care what I look like. I love it. Yeah, I'm the same Irish by descent. And I have that curse of can't break through five, eight. So a couple inches make a big difference. I have eight. You got three inches on me. And I'm just a small ball Jewish guy who uh, is struggling for those extra inches. So I'll take it. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, I think you make up for it in other ways. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> so just while we're on the Hoka kind of brand, why do you think, I mean, that brand, it's like a skyrocket. It's a hockey stick, the growth. The revenue was probably 10x less than what it is today, if not more. What do you think attributes, besides the fact it's a great product, what do you think attributes to the success of that brand? Well, there's a number of things. And I think from, but most importantly, it goes back to kind of integrity in the product and design and making sure that actually performs uh, discipline in how that brand goes to market and then controlling the brand. But from day one, and I give the brand teams a lot of credit for this, they've said, we are going to be true to the running community and we're going to serve the runner first and foremost. And if you can't tell, I love filters for decision-making. Their filter was, we're not going to veer from that. We're going to listen to the runner. We're going to connect with the runner. We're going to listen and connect to the running channel. So the running specialty channel, early days, we brought a lot of those shop owners into Deckers and talked to them about what they feel the opportunity and their need is in the marketplace. What do they need to be successful and really tuned into the needs of that community. And that's true today. And it will always be true that We are a running brand. We're a performance brand. We are focused on improving innovation, improving the lives of athletes, whether it's beyond running down the road, hopefully. And that discipline has served us really well. And when you're a triathlete and you understand how important that product is to you and you have a brand that's speaking specifically to you and servicing your needs and helping you perform either the day of the performance or helping you on your recovery runs, whatever it might be you become really important as a brand to that customer. And so we are continuing down that path. We're continuing to innovate and push the limits of what we can do to help runners be more successful and expanding that into trail and outdoor and to fitness with that same mindset, I think is a huge opportunity. But obviously there's a lot of people who aren't everyday runners or aren't uh, hardcore runners that love the shoe for different reasons, whether they are injured or recovering or used to run and want to get back into it it really changes people's lives. And and I think it's kind of spreading like wildfire that way. Word of mouth is a big part of our success because the product performs and because we are authentic in what we do. Yeah, I also kind of compare Hoka to Patagonia in a lot of ways. It's true to the hardcore enthusiast, high level of integrity in the product and the innovation, disciplined approach to distribution and powerful emotional marketing connection. I think that's the best formula for any brand. Hoka is benefiting from that. And I think we'll continue to see a long run, which is great. Well, and I would add to that list that you so articulated that 
Hoka created a movement. I mean, you guys obviously fueled it when you acquired the brand, what, back in 2013 or something like that. But beyond being kind of a, a sneaker or a brand for those who are both kind of newbies to running, as well as those very experienced hardcore endurance athletes, it's a movement that interestingly, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but maybe our listeners don't know, so many of the bigger brands now are trying to imitate in design in features and benefits and claims, and they just don't hold a candle to it as far as I'm concerned. They just don't. But I've never seen such a disruptive movement inside a very crowded segment, I think ever, at least in my lifetime, certainly as my lifetime as an endurance athlete. Yeah, I, you know, I would agree. At the time Hoka started gaining attention, we were still in the mindset of barefoot running, minimalist running. And there were a lot of people that jumped on that bandwagon and every brand had their version of minimalist running. Like the Vibram five finger, whatever thing, right? Yeah. The five finger and the Nike free and New Balance had their version. Everybody had a version of it. And I remember our, our CEO at the time, he and I were talking about it. He's like, the biggest secret here is that it's bad for running. It's bad for people. They're getting injured. And ultimately it's going to be bad for the running business. And so as crazy as the original Hoka shoes looked, we knew that there was something there that was better for the runner and all runners, allowed them to run longer, faster, more sustainable, and then run more often, and that it ultimately would be better for the business. And so I think, again, it, we were the first to come at it. And a lot of people thought it would be a trend, kind of like MBT you know, back a few years ago. And to be honest with you, I wondered if it would be too. But as the product evolved and we started hearing feedback from athletes about how much they loved the cushioning and they loved the geometry and the foot feel and what we call kind of the Hoka ride, we said, hey, there's really something here. That just got adopted. And I think it's not just the foam. It's not just the oversized. It's all the geometry that goes into that design. The founders live by that ethos of we want to make it so it feels like you're rolling downhill. And it's hard to emulate. It looks easy, but it's hard. And the other thing that I think is really interesting is the dad shoe trend, the oversized trend that's happening in the fashion space of footwear, I also think was heavily influenced by Hoka. This is one of those brands that I think is really unique because it is worn by the top athletes in the world. It's sold in the best, most authentic performance doors globally but it's also sold in the highest end fashion boutiques in the world. If you walk in some of the streets of Tokyo, you'll see Hoka in the most high-end boutiques as a fashion shoe. And that has had a knock-on effect as well. So to think that one shoe that originally was just head-shaking to people is now adopted by the top athletes in the world and the top fashion elite at the same time is pretty amazing and pretty exciting, compelling thing to happen. Yeah. And like you said, a huge pivot. I actually think that that whole barefoot running thing, do you remember Born to Run, that book? Yeah, the book. Yeah, right. Great book. And I've met some of the characters in that book, especially One-Armed Willie, who's awesome. He's an incredible triathlete because he does a lot with Challenge Athletes Foundation, which I've done a lot with over the years. But for guys like me and many others who have flat feet and suffer from all sorts of things that we were born with that we wish we hadn't been or were missing things, you know, whether it's an arch <laughs> or other kind of things that would make us, I think, run faster. Being able to have a different way of going about a sport that we love without injuring ourselves is pretty amazing. So even though this is a completely commercial discussion and a little bit of a regression, 
I officially thank you, not just for purchasing that brand, but for making it so great and actually keeping it true to form, literally, and not destroying it. Because so many brands, when they get bought, can kind of cave to other pressures, which are more around profit and or efficiencies, and you actually ruin the product. And you guys have done just the opposite. You've doubled down on it. So I, for one, as a huge kind of boy fan of the brand, I appreciate that. I appreciate you saying that. That's tough when you acquire a brand and you want to keep the culture, you want to keep the integrity of the product and hopefully help the teams build on it. And we've been fortunate that the founders, Jean-Luc and Nico, are still connected with the brand. Jean-Luc is now working full-time for Deckers as our head of innovation for all brands. And we really make sure that the teams have the freedom, the autonomy, and the support and resources to be maniacal about the product. And we do an incredible amount of wear testing and make sure that if a product is launching that we've done our diligence and that it will perform. And we have to stay true to that. Once we lose that, we're not gonna have the brand that we have today. And you guys have had a lot of success, obviously through acquisition. You've been able to figure out that formula like we just discussed, just using Hoka as an example. And maybe you can't answer this question, but are there plans to build a new brand from the ground up where purpose is baked into its mission? Not that it's not in the others because it fully is, but is that ever in the cards or the future? Or are you really just focusing right now on making your portfolio the best it can be? We're doing both. We're super focused on making the portfolio that we have today the best it can be. And the brand leaderships and the commercial teams have their marching orders and their strategies and they're executing extremely well. But at the same time, we think that we have something unique. We have a platform of capabilities everywhere from performance, Hoka, all the way to casual slippers and UGG and everything in between. And we know how to build brands. We know how to market. We have really strong digital marketing capabilities, and we're improving that. So we think we have a platform that we can develop on. And whether that's acquisitions that we bolt onto the platform we can do that. I think finding good ones is hard today. And the valuations on some of the exciting brands out there are just kind of crazy at the moment. So, But I also think, and we are looking at opportunities to launch new brands. You think about Hoka started, we purchased it for $5 million roughly. It was a tiny little brand. Kulabora we purchased similarly. That was a tiny little brand that we're building now. So I think we have the capabilities and the talent to be able to incubate some new ideas and sustainability and purpose will be built into those as best we can, for sure. That's awesome. That's great to hear. What's the easiest way to follow these brands and what they're doing socially, as well as what Deckers is doing from a social standpoint? Well, the brands, I would say Instagram is the best way to get a real-time view of what's going on with the brands and what's happening on a daily basis. That's really the window into the brands right now, other than going to their websites. Obviously, Facebook is part of that as well. For Decker's brands, we don't really have a social vehicle for Decker's brands at this point, something we may do in the future. Decker's is kind of in the background and we put the brands at the forefront because that's what the consumers purchase at the end of the day. A lot of people don't know Decker's to your point at the beginning is we've been quiet as as a company because we put our brands out there first and that's most important to us. So if you want to learn about Decker is more, certainly go to the website. And as I said, we've just launched some great videos that talk about our sustainable business practices and what's important to us a couple months ago and spend some time on that on our LinkedIn channel. But I think the best way to understand Decker's is to get to know our brands more intimately. Yeah. And like I said earlier, I've yet to come across the exception of Patagonia, a website that is so transparent, so comprehensive and inspiring and very authentic. 
as what you guys have done as it relates to talking about the causes that you care about. It is really, really well done. And I think it's a role model for other brands. And for anyone else who's listening, I do encourage them to go to your corporate website in this instance to be able to learn more and be inspired themselves. And I really appreciate having you on. And I especially appreciate you allowing me to kind of drone on and on about my love for Hoka. (laughs) That's fine. I'm happy to have that conversation anytime with all of our brands, but certainly Hoka is the of the moment phenomenon that we're all excited to talk about. But I appreciate you recognizing us and particularly our website, Tom and Brooke, who also works on our corporate sustainability practices and the teams have spent a lot of time making sure that we get the right message there and we are being more transparent and authentic. And I think hopefully what you take away or whether you're an investor or a customer or a potential employee, that the takeaway from that website is, wow, these are just good people doing good things and they're doing the right things. And that's to us what's most important as a company, as a group of employees and a family, extended family, at the end of the day. We want to come to work every day with a high level of integrity and feel that we are having a positive impact world and taking care of each other. And we're successful in the business at the same time. If we can do both, we're going to have a great run. I think you've done it. So I thank you on behalf of the rest of the world for doing it so well. And thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate that. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always on point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com, follow our Instagram at the Bop Podcast. And learn more about our host at AaronQuicken.com. Yeah.